0: What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Batman, sir, it's the Bat-Film. yes, Commissioner. Batman. we'll be right there.
1: Fifth Van pal this is Batman Land. Be careful, maybe a trap. Land. Each week, we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We're
0: Batman and Robin, the crime fighters. We
1: discuss the episodes to air this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett, I'm an editor here at SBS, and I'm joined here by a colleague of mine from SBS, a man who publishes all of his articles to the SBS website in secret writing. It's Nicholas Bessine. I asked you not to say my
2: real name. Sorry, Nick Bessine. Uh That name either. I'm trying to maintain the profile that I publish under, which is Sassy Babs Smollett.
1: I wish that was a joke, but he actually does. Also joining us here on Batman Land, uh, joining us for the very first time on Batman Land, it's the Spruce Goose of Pop Asia. It's Andy True. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for joining us. I've been... You were one of the names that we had on our list right at the beginning when we were trying to work out Batman Land guests to come Wh- through. Why is that? Um, I think it was because you'd appeared on our sister podcast, The Playlist,
0: and Fiona's just like, Andy's your guy. Okay, cool. I thought there was like some, you know, similarities to Batman... I you know, know. <laughs> you
2: had the way you you carry yourself like a Batman.
0: Ah, oh, right, like a bat,
1: <laughs> and there is your thirst for justice. Yes, yeah. and you don't kill people. No,
0: as far as we know.
1: Yes, well, not as many people because
2: Batman has killed people in the past, but only aberrationally. I mean, you're not so, Batman. Is that's his rule? He does not kill.
1: Yeah, although that's come in later. So I've been reading a book in the last few weeks. It's called The Caped Crusade by Glenn Weldon. Uh, It's about Batman and the rise of nerd culture. And he was talking about the very early incarnations of Batman, because in the first issue of Batman, he does carry a gun. Oh. Quite regularly, he was often dudes around the place, but it was after a couple of years that DC or National Publications, which it was called at the point, uh, they... Curved it out. They said, you know, maybe he shouldn't be killing people. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Bob Kane and his cohorts writing and drawing it, because Bob Kane didn't really do that much in terms of drawing. You know, they were all more than happy to see Batman often dudes, but... Do you remember when he
2: tries to find Joe Chill later on, and he has the gun on the cover of that one comic book
1: run? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? No, there are many comic books where he picks up a gun?
0: Uh, It could be any number of issues there, Nick. God damn it. Well, I'm sure he's paralysed a lot of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or like hurt them seriously, then they eventually died. Good news story.
1: <laughs> now, I've got Andy in here talking about these episodes. The Puzzles Are Coming, which aired originally on the 21st of December 1966. And the duo is slumming on the 22nd of December 1966. This was Christmas week. What are the titles again? Don't maybe me say it again. The, pu- <laughs> the Puzzles Are Coming... The we puzzles are coming. Are coming. The puzzles are coming, and the duo is slumming. The duo is
2: slumming. No, barely. What rhymes. does that mean? That's
0: maybe it's not even an effort. The Riddler's coming, and Batman and Robin. Ain't doing too well. Well, the thing with this episode <laughs> is
1: The Riddler's not coming because as has been going on with the second season, we haven't seen The Riddler at all yet because there was a contractual issue taking place between Frank Gorshin, who played The Riddler on season one, and the producers of the show. He wanted some money for it and they were definitely playing hardball on it. So he doesn't appear at all through the entire season. But they did write a couple of scripts with the idea that Riddler would be in it. And because they couldn't get him, they had to rework Make them. up the puzzler. And so you've got the Puzzler in this episode. So this is a Riddler episode, but featuring the Puzzler. Is the Puzzler a real Batman villain? No. Okay, so here's the deal with the Puzzler. So it was supposed to be the Riddler, couldn't do that. So they re it to be a character called Mr. Conundrum. Oh, mm, great wow. name. <laughs> it actually is kind of a cool name. But then at the <laughs> last minute, they balked. And they went for the Puzzler, which is a DC Comics villain. So apparently he like fought Superman once. And so they yeah. grabbed the name
0: and... You know, here we are. Why How not? does the puzzler fight Superman? <laughs> That's a very good question that I do not have a good answer for. (laughs) Okay.
1: Now, Nick, as always, I don't remember what happened in this week's episode, but could you please remind us what did we experience?
2: Okay, so the dreaded puzzler gasses Commissioner Gordon's office.
0: Model plane sailed through the window and dropped a bomb.
2: And because Gordon is a useless human being, he calls Batman.
0: But I feel I'd be shirking my duty to the populace of Gotham City if I didn't call on his help in this dire crisis.
2: Dick is communicating with birds when they get the call. Batman welcomes the opportunity to cross swords with the puzzler, which is a totally normal thing for him to say.
0: (laughs) Holy Hamlet.
2: Puzzler convinces some rich guy to invest in his terrible balloon puzzles idea.
0: Good, I like a partner who agrees with me. Yes.
2: And then he gasses a bunch of people and robs them while spouting Shakespeare. Macbeth,
0: act one.
2: Belittling his female companion.
0: Sweep on you fat and greasy citizen. Batman
2: and Robin track the Puzzler and his goods down to some sort of warehouse where they get a couple of poison darts in the arm and yell, ouch. Ouch! The Puzzler tries to murder them by putting them in a hot air balloon. Holy flight plan. They use some gum to prevent them from going higher. Chewing gum. And then Robin calls out to a bird and asks the bird to pop the balloon. He did it, Batman. Batman! and Robin burst in on the Puzzler, but they're stopped by some other balloons. Puzzler sends them a chicken.
0: McCree, a rooster!
1: <laughs>
2: Santa Claus pops his head out of a window when they're climbing up a building.
0: Call me sir. When they go
2: back to the Batcave, I may have had some sort of brain hemorrhage because to me, they were literally speaking in gibberish. I couldn't understand any of what was going on. They find the puzzler, beat up the goons, and Batman out Shakespeare's him.
1: Wow. Did you have a stroke at some point while watching these episodes? I'm saying that,
2: that, (laughs) yes, that is entirely possible because minutes went by and I felt like I didn't know what was going on. I felt half conscious.
1: (laughs) Look, in fairness, I felt the same way, but mostly from the very beginning of this two-parter right to the end of the two-parter yeah yeah this was a rough one it's a fever dream yeah so I think this episode well the two part is more fascinating as a a cultural exercise of wondering what happens when writers have to ride around the Riddler more than it is the actual episodes (laughs) themselves well they added the Shakespearean flair the Riddler doesn't have that no and apparently that was added purely because Maurice Evans was appearing in it I don't know why is
2: Shakespearean actor
1: this is what I didn't know but this is what the people on the internets were saying okay uh, Maurice Evans, we should talk about him briefly. I know him mostly because soon after Batman 1966, he played Dr. Zeus in the Planet of the Apes movies. Did he? He did. There's a the,
2: law, a storied history connection of, for the Planet of the Apes in this show.
1: Yeah, well, I think it kind of works on the idea that a lot of actors, when you find yourself working for a studio, because don't forget this is working within a studio system, uh, when you start working with one studio, you become day players and start to play yeah, around sure. and various things. And you I still thought, see a fair bit of that I going on. I thought he on. looked familiar. Yeah.
2: Did Dr. Zayas have a lot of Shakespeare in
1: his repertoire? Uh, I don't recall, but hmm. uh, here we are. Uh, also, fans of Bewitched, which I'm an I Dream a Genie person, so I didn't really so watch much of Bewitched. So you hate Bewitched. I don't hate it, <laughs> but it's certainly not for me. Okay. Uh, but apparently he played Maurice and it was Samantha's father. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was in like nine or ten episodes of the show.
2: Right, yeah. Are uh, you a big Planet of the Apes head, Andy? I really enjoyed the last couple,
0: like the, like the new ones, new ones. Yeah. not
2: the old classic ones.
0: Why old classic for me is like that Mark Wahlberg one. Oh no, <laughs> and that's pretty recent. But Do yourself gonna... a favor, like <laughs> the, the first Planet of the Apes movie, because there's
1: five of the original ones, and they all have various levels of quality. Okay, but the first one's actually really a pretty cool film. Um, give it a look. I think you'll actually find something to it. Particularly if you like the new ones and you yeah. can see where a lot of the ideas for the new ones are taken from. That Are you film.
2: familiar with the big iconic moments like Charlton Heston in the sand screaming, you maniacs,
0: you blew it up? Um... Probably it, from the Simpsons. Only if Mark Wahlberg did it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, in the, the reboot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh god. Did was, Mark
1: Wahlberg do it? That's the Tim Burton one, isn't it? <laughs> that's the Tim Burton one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the 2001 Planet of the Apes. So yeah. I'm going to say, say that's true. a classic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but there's always something so iconic about those films which is like the whole what happens in the end. Is it like the humans or the yeah. the apes? Mm. I'll take the apes every time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're well, we could take Maurice Evans as Dr. Zeus. Dr. Zaius,
0: Dr. Zaius! Dr. Zaeus, Dr.
1: Zaeus! But yeah, so you had Maurice Evans, and I have to say, uh, not necessarily the most charismatic of Batman villains. Dr. Zaeus, Dr. Zaius! What's wrong with me? I think you're he was certainly fine. There was nothing wrong with him, but he was definitely a day player for the week.
2: I liked that he was saying Shakespeare, because that's
1: educational for the kids. I like the name of his goons, Blimpy, Glider and Rocket. Yeah, what are, what does that mean? How is that related to puzzles? Well, cuz he had the aeroplane at the beginning.
2: Oh yeah, it doesn't and make any sense.
1: As we learn in the beginning of the episode, the puzzler often works with a lot of um, avian themes. That's right. He
2: was in they were in an airplane hangar later on.
1: Yeah, yeah. And cuz at the very beginning he's throwing the rock the yeah. like plane, the gas plane, yeah. Yeah. And it ties in cuz Dick was learning about the bird calls.
2: Yes, Dick. Your bird calls are close to perfect. If more people practice them, someday we might have a chance for real
0: communication with our feathered friends.
2: That's right. There was an avian
1: theme. Aviary? Is that a word? Aviaricious? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Now that we get introduced to a wealthy guy by the name of, was it NAB? K-N-A-B. It's bank backwards. So it's K-N-A-B. Oh, my God. You are some sort of wizard. Well, they do say in the episode that it's bank backwards.
2: That must have been during one of my episodes.
1: Yeah, I think so. Now, he gets pissed off with Batman and Robin as they interrupt his game of Monopoly that he's playing with the puzzler.
2: I loved him on the phone um, selling and buying stocks. <laughs> I'm sure that's how it was done in the
1: 60s. Buy, buy. Sell, sell, sell. Well, you sell low, you buy high. Well, I See, I know that. about finance. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the few times I've seen Monopoly on television.
0: Oh, I didn't even know it was invented back then. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, Andy, we're going to have to take you aside. But monopoly be is a it, relatively... They're...
2: Monopoly does play a huge role in those classic Planet of the Apes movies. Oh, it really does. That's <laughs> probably why Andy yeah. hasn't seen it so
1: much. It must okay. be, yeah. But no, I, like, I'm not a Monopoly historian by any means, but my understanding is that the game originally came around in like the mid-20s. But there was like a number of like incarnations between what the original board game was to becoming mainstream. So I'm guessing maybe it only became mainstream roughly around like yeah. the mid well, sixties. St- the stakes
2: were life and death initially. <laughs> like people would be murdered. Well, you'd
1: have to jump out the window.
2: You can tell it's the twenties cause the, um, the monopoly guy looks like one of those robber barons with the top hat and the monocle.
1: Yeah. It's a look that most people aren't rocking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, looking I'm at just us. learning. Now the dude <laughs> the dude that played uh Nab, no sorry what's his name Kanab, Kanab Kanab uh just 3 years after Batman he played a character called Will Scarlet in The Erotic Adventures of Robin Hood The Erotic Adventures Ooh. of Robin Hood He
2: did not look like someone that you would find in a movie called that Well he's got the mustache like
1: maybe that's it gets you a long way <laughs> Is that a comedy kind of like Robin Hood men in tights or is it a- <laughs> Is it a pornographic film? It it is a soft pornographic movie. Oh, my God. Which, if you've watched The Simpsons, where Homer and Marge have some alone time in the early seasons, and he comes home with a VHS of The Erotic Adventures of Hercules, I believe that is a parody of The Erotic Adventures of Robin Hood. Okay, But there could also be another reference taking place there. I'm not too sure. That's interesting.
0: I think that's a smart career move. It's like olden day
1: Kim Kardashian stuff. Oh, look, it's definitely a career move. I'm not sure if it's a smart career move.
0: Some aspiring actress apparently decided that the best way to further her career was to slip a Mickey in my oolong.
1: He did a great job. Yeah. Uh, my favourite guest star in this episode was a gentleman that we refer to as Santa. Yep, I yeah, I've heard of him. Shoved his head out the window.
2: It was very excited. Who
1: played the Santa? Uh, Santa was played by Andy Devine, who is just a character actor. He's best known as playing Wild Bill Hillcock in both a radio serial and a TV series. Oh. Do you think Santa was supposed to be drunk?
2: I think Santa's always a little bit drunk, isn't he? He seemed like he was on something.
1: Yeah. I was a bit thrown off by the way they looked directly at the audience and break the fourth wall. Yeah, that was great. I really yeah. liked that. If you can't trust Santa, who can you trust? Well, that's a great question. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say there's a number of Santas I've seen out and about that I wouldn't put that much trust and faith into. Obviously, the show's
2: great, but one of my problems with this show has always been they didn't take advantage of nearly enough advantage of the goofiness of it and just kind of in throwing in more police squad style jokes, looking at the camera, the phone booth that appears out of nowhere. Why? Why That was very funny. Why doesn't stuff ha- like that happen all the time?
1: Now, that phone booth didn't appear just out of anywhere. It appeared there because of the great work done by Governor Stonefeller and the fine tax- and the fine taxpayers of Gotham City. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now I just want to get back to Sansa for a moment. Andy, <laughs> as the youngest person on our panel, yes. when was the last time
0: you sat on Sansa's knee? Oh, when I was probably 11. Actually, that's pretty late, but yeah, about 11. Okay, I thought yeah, it'd it would be more recent. Was that uh, in Canberra. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was at Belcon and Mall because I lived in Belcon and Mall. <laughs> you, like lived you lived in, in the mall? mall? I mean, sorry, I lived near Belcon and Mall. <laughs> right. Have you guys been to Canberra? I have. It's, I haven't checked out their many like like malls
2: It's very <laughs> exciting. They have a great museum there. Yeah. I went to a, an art museum there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great, um, yeah. It's a little bit... uh like Adelaide and Perth where it's just nobody's walking around and it's really hot and it has an eerie quality to it, but I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. It's a great place to settle down if that's what you're into. But that's okay. when I sat on Santa's lap. <laughs> 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 that's
2: going to be the name of your memoir, sitting on Santa's lap in Canberra, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With the book sold out, Bel- Belconnen? Yeah, Belconnen. 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 <laughs> Um, i've Why? been to canberra a couple of times like i think it'd be a good time uh, to go riding a bike around on because like there's yeah, no yeah. hills or anything it just seems very pleasant
0: it is but everything's so spread out so i guess you would have to ride a long distance to get from like place to place when did you leave canberra uh about 10 years ago okay yeah. so like how old would you have been um 21
1: okay so you're past the age of
0: 18 yeah
1: now my fantasy of riding around Canberra. I'd like to ride around on a bike, but I'd like to do that on one day, and then the second day you just go riding around from bar to bar. Is that a comfortable way to get around in Canberra?
0: Well, I, sure. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that's a great idea, especially nowadays with all those bikes in the city. You yeah. know, those ones that you could just hire, and then you could just you know grab a drink and ride around. But yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah. Have you been to that casino? Oh, the Canberra Casino? Yeah. Yes.
2: How's
0: did you that? know it was uh, bought up by a Chinese investor and just like refurbished? It looks spectacular at the moment, but it's like super small. It's only like half a floor, half of SBS.
2: Yeah. Which I is went, not very. I want big. a little bit of money there. Now, how much out. did you win? $50.
0: <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> From how
2: much? $40. Um, started with $40. <laughs> Walked out of there with 50
1: Well, Now I'm going to do something which is really amazing and professional. Watch this segue, okay? Strap yourselves in; it's going to be amazing. Okay. So last time I was in Canberra, I woke up in the morning. Saw a whole bunch of hot air balloons in the sky. Oh my god! And the memories of that came flooding back during this Batman episode. Oh my god! As they're travelling in the sky, strapped to it because you know the puzzlers trying to do away with them at the end of the first part. Uh, Dick ends up bird calling the elusive giant, high-flying, red-eyed hermit. It's not even right. There's like another five words. Is that a different superhero? No, this is the bird. It's a very specific bird. It's a crow. (laughs) Oh, a crow. A crow is a bird. It's a black bird, right? It's a black crow. It's a black crow. Well, it's a black crow, but Batman refers to it as a very specific breed of bird. Because don't forget, Dick hasn't le- like he's probably learned a crow call. Is by that this a real point. bird? Did you look it up? I'd assume not. What's it it's called the again? Elusive giant, high flying, and I wrote the word high giant. High flying. Twice. I want to say it's the elusive, high flying, giant-eyed hermit new thatched bird. The elusive and high flying giant red-eyed hermit new thatch birds are migrating south for the winter. New thatched bird. And Adam West delivers the line twice, and I'm pretty sure it's in one take that he gives the name of that bird. Which I think really speaks to the skill of one Adam West.
2: So, uh, after a quick uh, expert Google search, it's just a lot of pictures of um, pterodactyls,
1: which it certainly was not. Are you using Google or Bing? Because oh, Bing I'm, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> if you use Bing, maybe you'd get the uh, giant, yeah,
2: yeah, uh, Thatch bird. I'm using I'm using wh- whatever Yahoo uses. The Yahoo <laughs> Actually, search engine. I
1: think they use Bing. Yeah. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do. Okay. <laughs> if you want bing facts you call in andy true Mm. now i just want to get back to santa for a moment something that i thought was fascinating is that robin makes reference to the eight reindeer which to me says that rudolph the red-nosed reindeer does not exist in the batman universe thoughts (laughs) wow that's deep well because rudolph is the ninth reindeer yeah is he he is as popularized in the 1943 song but outside of that song does rudolph exist does he does he exist in um in the night before christmas look here's the thing to consider nick santa sorry maybe you've got kids in the car like turned down the volume for a moment santa not so real himself shut up sorry shut up so therefore he does exist say, i sat on his lap <laughs> that's a good point and he's Still got emotionally scarred from. I was there. This is compelling evidence. (laughs) Um, Can either of you smell secret writing? So maybe? (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Batman's given a bit of paper from Commissioner Gordon. I believe it was when there was the bird that was sent to his office. And there's a bit of paper that he picks up and he sniffs it for a moment and says,
2: Seems to have a slight odour of secret writing on
1: it. And then they go to the Batcave and where all the gibberish was happening that you didn't uh, take in. It could be like invisible ink. Well, I mean, I presume that's what's going on, but does invisible ink have a specific smell? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It smells like chemicals.
1: (laughs) Smells like love. Anyway, after watching these two episodes, the most interesting thing I've taken away from it was the erotic adventures of Robin Hood and an education about the Belcon Bowl.
0: (laughs) Which I think says something.
1: Am I alone in not really liking these episodes? I liked that they had a couple of super weird
2: jokes. I wish there was more in the show in general. I wish... They had more stuff like uh, communicating with birds to help them out, help them fight crime. <laughs> and uh, Just
1: broadly across the series? Yeah, yeah. And phone
2: booths appearing out of nowhere and top breaking the fourth wall, I wish that happened all the time. It'd be a lot more fun. Not that it's already not a, not a lot of fun. It's an amazing show. Everybody should watch it all the time. SBS Viceland, SBS On Demand. But I, I laughed a few times. Uh, I thought it was funny when Robin referred to Kanab um, as a reasonably successful multi-billionaire. <laughs> he's only reasonably successful, but he's a multi-billionaire. I thought that was very funny.
0: Well, yeah. I love the fact that it's just, everything's just over the top. I mean, where does he get all the money to get an air balloon and then uh, do this and do that? And where did he get his goons from? Are they on a payroll? Are they on salary? <laughs> yeah. and, and we need to know. Important so question. You're, you're more interested, <laughs> is he using MYOB as his yeah. software? Yeah. Like, how, how do you do it back then? I mean, nowadays, criminals, I would think, are a lot smarter. Would they go back to these things and, you know, reference and come up with ideas and plans?
1: Now, I'm guessing, Eddie, this is the first time that you've watched 66 Batman?
0: It's been, a, yeah, well. Actually, I, I kind of recall it back in the 90s when my parents had it on, maybe on repeat.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: like, just used- in the distance. Yeah, it used to be on Foxtel on,
1: in the mornings, I think, on Fo- oh, like during the 90s.
0: Yeah. So, maybe that's so you've important. seen have you seen all of them or just you just remember? Oh, no, just like glimpses like Pam pow. Yeah. I remember that. And okay. I, I remember the costume and um like the obviously the Batmobile with no roof. Right. Yeah. That's what I remember of that, but not watching it. Was it your first introduction to Batman? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Um, and then right after that, I think was Michael Keaton. And I, I remember my parents didn't let me watch it because it was too violent. It was yeah. too dark. They probably thought it was a horror movie. Sure. Yeah. And of course, yeah. Batman returns with Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito and stuff. Yeah. That was cool. So when you think of Batman, who do you, who, do, who is, who first comes to mind? Val Kilmer. Val Kilmore. Batman Forever Because I remember watching the ads And first Seeing Nicole Kidman Yeah Mm. Oh she was Really beautiful Yeah I was just like I was young And I was like I don't know What I'm feeling right now Yeah (laughs) But I'm looking at Nicole Kidman (laughs) This is amazing And then like Her next to Val Kilmore That was super cool Okay Yeah And have you watched That movie recently? Well I watched it About 10 years ago Yeah um, Again Uh huh and I just remember thinking, man, the special effects really suck. <laughs> but at the time it was like I felt it was groundbreaking. We loved it, yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of the cool things about the sixties Batman show, which is that there's no
1: special effects with computers or models really. It's just large props. So I mean, as dated as the show looks, like it's still stylized to a certain degree. It's not it doesn't have that dated quality that you find.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I guess that that speaks to the generation you're in, and your your age, and when you come of age, and the and which movies are out at the time. But so it it wasn't Michael Keaton didn't make the biggest impression. Most people
0: on this show, as far as I can tell, have said Michael Keaton. No, definitely Val Kilmore. Right. And at the time, because um, Jim Carrey was in Batman Forever, um, also Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Uh, and just having the Riddler in there as well, and right. Robin, and Robin was Chris O'Donnell, I believe. Yep. And he had a really cool Robin suit, which didn't look like an old school Robin suit. And I thought that was really cool. That's right. With yeah. the
2: nipples? Or was that in Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin brings in the nipples.
1: Yeah, right. Got it. Oh, yeah.
0: extra <laughs> touch. <laughs>
1: is it ever? Uh, just an interesting connection to Batman Forever. In Batman Forever, there's a moment where the Riddler is trying to come up with names. And one of the names he throws out is the puzzler. Oh,
2: oh.
1: Yeah. I saw that in the IMDb trivia today. Very nice, yeah. well played, mm. Andy. What does Batman mean to you? How do you answer that question?
2: Yeah, it's a big question. It's a big personal question. And uh, I mean, is he your favorite superhero? Yeah,
0: I think Batman to me. I mean. He's a very cool character, mm-hmm. and I think, like, I always try to find like resemblances, like as a kid, of Batman to me. But it's, I guess, hard to find, like someone that I'd love to be, like a billionaire, a superhero, wearing black because I love wearing black and mysterious. And um, for those listening, he's wearing black right now. Yeah, I am. Yeah, at nice. Nice. yeah. Um, singular and solo, and I think that's really, really cool. Um, and I think there's like different lessons that I've gotten out of some of the Batman movies, which basically are like just things about tech and things about having a cool car yeah. and what life would be like if I had a billion dollars and just the way he kind of carries himself. And I think that is like really cool. If I had a billion dollars, I don't think I'd be fighting crime. I would be making tech. You would be? Would like what he's doing, let me have like a... A man cave, not a bat cave Right I would have a really, like, techie kind of car But I'd not exactly fight crime Yeah Like Elon Musk style, maybe yes. More like inventing cool stuff Futuristic stuff Yeah And I reckon if Batman was real He'd probably either be, like, Richard Branson or Elon Musk <laughs> What do you mean you can't find a 200-foot diesel yacht? I don't know how, just find it
1: I found it really interesting at the very beginning of the episode where you've got the Commissioner Gordon on the phone to Warden Cryson at Gotham Penitentiary. Gotham Penitentiary apparently very full up, like there's just too many criminals coming through. And Gordon suggests at one point that the reason why there's so many criminals is because they've been doing their job too well. And I don't know about you, but I reckon that Warden Crichton at the other end of that phone line is making what I believe you would all refer to as the international wanking gesture.
2: Yeah, there's no way they have been doing anything approaching a good job.
1: No. The police are terrible. Yeah. I mean, he's got Chief O'Hara as his number one guy. There's no way they're filling that prison.
2: You know what occurred to me? You know how they they brought back the um, Dick and I need to go fishing? Yeah. With Aunt Harriet excuse. Where where do they fish in a big city like Gotham City? Well, where are they going?
1: Because Gotham City, which seems like a thriving metropolitan city, it's got a lot of rural areas. So we've seen a few times. So there was the Robin Hood style character that kicks off the first season and you learn there's little shanty towns existing around <laughs> Gotham City. So presumably you don't have to go more than 15 minutes out from the city.
2: That seems unlikely unless you're going, because if it's, it's supposed to be New York, and I don't know the, where, where you would fish in New York unless you were going to one of the rivers and just going off a pier. Yeah, I mean, a very Southern Californian-looking New York. I assume that, and I assume the fish in those rivers are long dead or have superpowers of their own. Wait, I wanted to bring up one more thing. Okay, what else have you got? Um, when the puzzler is going out of his way to leave clues for his preposterous crime and the woman, his female companion, who he previously derides... Uh, She says, um, don't you think you've left enough clues? And just the way she said it, (laughs) it's kind of what the audience is thinking a little bit too. Like, come on, I mean, this is, you know, it's not gonna work. Do you, I mean, can we wrap it up? I thought that was very funny. Smartest thing I've heard on this show. Great one, learners.
1: At the end of every episode, we like to really delve deep into the lessons we've learned from this week's Batman. Nick, do you wanna kick us off? What did you learn from Batman this week? I don't have a uh, up to place a lot of value in
2: the human bird relationship generally, but um, apparently it's very important. And I learned that if more of us practiced bird calls, we might finally be able to communicate with our feathered friends. And I, I certainly never thought of it that way. So when Adam West, uh, when Bruce Wayne says that, I, I definitely, um, definitely
0: resonated with me. Yeah. West knows best. Andy, what did you learn this week from Batman? Well, Seeing Batman work with Robin back then, I believe that Batman works better as a team. Oh. Right? Yeah, rather than in recent times, Batman's very solo. And I think, yeah, you can get more done. He'll be more, you know, efficient as a team. Well, one of these movies has got to introduce. Do you think they'll introduce
2: Robin or do they? Do you think people think that was a disaster when Chris O'Donnell did that? Don't bring him back.
0: Oh, well, they almost did in the uh, Dark Knight Rises right at the end. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. What's his face? He was supposed to be yeah. become Robin, wasn't he? And there was like, a bit of Batgirl in there as well. Well, I was also was... thinking the most recent movie, so in Batman versus
1: Superman mm. maybe? He's in a... The Jason Todd costume is in there. Yeah. And it's been spray painted by the Joker at some point. Yeah. So clearly the Robin exists within universe somewhere. Yeah.
2: Ideally, don't you think they should cast Chris O'Donnell? No, (laughs) not for anything.
1: (laughs) Yes. What did you learn, Dan? I I learned probably the most important lesson I think I've taken away from in any Batman Land episode so far. I've learned you don't need to be a young man to appear in the erotic adventures of Robin Hood.
2: (laughs) That is an important lesson. Are you saying you're thinking of um, auditioning? Are you say, I'm not a young man anymore? I don't know. Certainly on the cusp. Uh, it just seemed like you um, seemed relieved by that idea and like maybe now you could make a new start at something.
1: Look, I think you reach a certain point in your life where you're aghast that someone of whom is younger than you doesn't know the original Planet of the Apes movie. It's and troubling. you realize that maybe you have moved on in life. I like to divide life between I could be cast in the
2: erotic adventures of Robin Hood and now, no, I can't be cast in the erotic adventures of Robin Hood but I guess it depends on what kind of shape you keep yourself in Dan you are in the best Dude. shape of your
1: life <laughs> look I'd say that you probably refer to my physique as Westian at this point it's not bad it could it's be not worse bad. yeah anyway guys this has been the end of another Batman Land Andy our guest for the first time is Batman Land and hopefully we'll get you back at some point now, I don't really say what you do around here, but people know who you are, I think, maybe. But who are you? What what goes on? Yeah, I'm who are you? Truth? What's your name? What do you do? Why did we let you through the door?
0: <laughs> well, my name's Andy, and I host a... Uh <laughs> A Asian pop program called SBS Pop Asia. Uh, we primarily play lots of k-pop, we interview K-pop stars. we have a podcast, obviously a TV show on Sunday on SBS Iceland and we do live events. And as of late we've been um, trying to get K-pop stars into Australia. Uh, and besides that we concentrate on lots of Asian pop culture from anime to you know um, Asian movies so, yeah, that's pretty much what we do. Can
2: I ask you something that I've always wondered? Why, why is K-pop the go-to genre rather than like there's Jap- like, Japanese like pop and yeah, why, why, why K-pop?
0: Well K-pop, I believe the standard, the bar is so much higher than so oh, okay. many different like uh, music genres all around the world. It's like super flashy, like music videos cost from Fifty thousand to a million dollars. Everything's manufactured really, really well. Like all the all the stars train for about ten years before they debut, and that's quite unheard of in say Western music culture.
1: Why is the bar so high? Is it because there's so much competition to try to get known there, or is it just purely there's a strong critical um, consensus around what you need to be to be a great K-pop star?
0: Well, yeah, um, there are heaps of bands that come in every single year. For example, in 2015, there were 150 bands that debuted by the next year, only twenty-five of them survived. So the bar is so high that all the, say, the bad ones obviously don't survive. Uh, and also, they started K-pop on a really high level, like really top production music videos, great songs that they buy from all around the world. Like Bruno Mars writes for K-pop, Will yeah. I Am does. They pay big money just to get the best of the best.
2: But what is it about Korean culture that
0: um that inspires this, as opposed to Japanese or Chinese? well coming down to say the k-pop boy bands themselves each member has a position one's a visual to look good one's the funny guy one's the uh, the cute one one's the bossy one and they've really thought out these characters so well and behind that they might have tv shows behind them variety tv shows game shows and so they really buffer these guys out and and like build these fandoms. And I think that's the secret with uh, K-pop compared to J-pop, having a really strong fandom almost to the point, like I hate to say it's like a cult or a religion. Uh, where, (laughs) for example, if a boy band is, uh, playing on a music show tonight and and they need votes, they will call out to their fans. And if you are a fan, it's your duty to retweet something or vote or stay up and just say, if, if you're asleep, you talk to fans in America to tweet on your behalf and they communicate in crazy ways. It's, it's amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: If you think about the way that Western music works, you've got your pop stars of whom is very much the, uh, it's the system that are really propping up these stars. So this is where you've got the money to produce your music videos and, you know, record tracks. But then you've also got this sort of undercurrent of bands of whom want to just get out there. And, you know, like if you look at like the indie band scene, they'll play clubs, they'll try to get notoriety that way, and then they'll sort of lift their profile up and eventually sort of get to record their albums and everything comes with that. What's it like in terms of Korea? So I know about K-pop, but is there like other avenues of music really coming through in that same way you find locally here?
0: There is an indie scene in, say, Korean music culture, except it doesn't do as well as mainstream K-pop, only because... Which is kind of the same here, really. Yeah, basically. They've got... So to debut a pop band, it's around $3 million just, you know, to house them, to make the music videos, to debut them. Mm. But if you're doing an indie, obviously you've got to create your own fan base. You don't have the promotional money... You've got to do it all yourself. But it is quite in to start doing it indie now because people are not so into mainstream flashy kind of K-pop music. And is it still sort of pop music orientated or is it more diverse? Now it's definitely moving into rap and hip hop. Like that's, awesome. that's the That's the huge thing over in Korea right now. And so K-pop bands are like, oh, that, that's what everyone's doing. We should change our concept and now be gangster. And so <laughs> like their no, next concept, they'll have like baggy clothes, et cetera. And how does that change for Pop Asia here at SBS? So do you guys
1: need to then start reflecting the changes that are happening at that level? Or is that still a little bit below what
0: you need to be doing for Pop Asia? Uh, well... Uh, We just go with the trends, basically. If that's what's popular and if that's what the audience wants, we'll just obviously do our best to bring more of that. And Um, what's your audience telling you? Are they excited by that? Yeah, they're they're very excited about where K-pop is going and it's definitely more mainstream. So last year, like a K-pop band won a billboard award over Justin Bieber and like Selena Gomez and stuff. And that's really spread K-pop all around the world. And yeah, so we're pretty excited about where it's going at the moment. And it's basically mainstream Western music. Forgive the ignorance, but do they listen to K-pop in North Korea? Uh, I don't think so, except I know that at DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone, they blast (laughs) K-pop just to annoy.
2: Oh, interesting. Uh,
0: Because I suppose they could
2: stop the sales or they wouldn't play it on the radio, I guess. But you would find it online, right?
0: Yeah, I'm sure if you wanted to. Yeah, I'm sure you could, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that they don't. They've got their own bands. Like uh, we have heard stories of... North Korean, um, they're, they're kind of like diva singers, kind of like Celine oh, Dion's. And I think, um, that kind of music's in, in North Korea. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, good
2: for them.
1: Yeah.
0: And Andy, if people want to find you on the internet,
1: so Facebook or Twitter, like how do people usually talk to you? How, um, how usually on, communicate.
0: Uh, Instagram, just at Andy True, T-R-I-E-U, or you could just, uh, Google SBS Pop Asia. Fantastic. Mm. Outstanding. Instagram,
1: another sign that I'm old, Nick. Gotta go on Instagram, Dan. Uh, the I'm on the Instagram, but I mostly just picture... I mostly just post pictures of the dogs. It mm, doesn't sound that exciting. You're not really selling it to
2: me. No, I'm really not. Are your dogs interesting? No, they're not bad. Sounds kind of boring. I'll show you some photos That's
1: later. Kind of. You'll love them. Uh, Nick, you're on the Twitter. Where do people find me?
2: I'm at Nick Bassine, but... Um
1: you can just Google... Um, SBS Pop Asia. SBS Pop Asia. You'll, probably, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. If you're enjoying Batman Land, please use the hashtag on your social medias of choice, hashtag BatmanLand. And you can do that across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. Or if you're on a platform like, say, Overcast, like just click the star button. It helps your friends find the program. Also, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere you want to listen to a podcast. We'll be back next week. We've got a very exciting episode where it's not just one villain. We have two villains taking place. Shut up. Strap yourselves in. The Catwoman and the Sandman. Sandman? Like the Marvel Sandman? I don't know. I've got to watch the episode. Okay. Anyway, folks, we'll be back next week. Andy, thank you very much. Nick, I guess it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Let's not get crazy. We'll be back next week, same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel.